0: All right, let's go to Zechariah chapter 3, verse 10. And that day saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. In this passage, this is dealing with and so just the first 3 days, three the first 3 words of the verse, we can see what it's speaking of that it is dealing with the kingdom that Jesus Christ is going to establish on the earth. And remember, we're talking about what God does with the nation of Israel. That's His plan for the nation of Israel here in chapter 3. So it says, "...in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree." So in that day, we know that that is just telling us that that millennial rest has come. Anytime you see that day, in that day, it is dealing with the time period from the rapture of the church... Through the kingdom. And then the context of the passage will tell you specifically what part of that piece of time, section of time, that the Bible is dealing with. But what's going on is Jesus is on his throne in Jerusalem. Now, how many of you are sensing a theme as we study through the Old Testament? That the the theme of the Old Testament, and really the theme of the whole Bible, is that one day Jesus Christ is going to be sitting on his throne in Jerusalem, receiving the glory that he deserves. That's what it's about. And what we ought to do as believers is we ought to start giving Him that glory now. Right? We don't need to wait until the kingdom. We need to live our lives in such a way that we're bringing glory to Him in the same way that He'll receive it in the kingdom. That is what we're supposed to do. So, first of all, that day, that's when this is going to happen. This is the kingdom saith the Lord of hosts. Now, remember that Lord of hosts, and if you've not marked that in your Bible yet, you need to make sure to do that. That's used 53 times, and every time it's talking about Jesus Christ leading the, the, uh, this host, and that host is an army or a mass of people organized for war. That's what it is. Maybe Jesus gave the hint of that this morning in Matthew 21 when He said He was going to grind them to powder. I'm just telling you, the war machine that Jesus Christ is going to bring is different than anything else that the world has ever seen. So what brings in this period of peace, what allows the nation of Israel to sit in rest, what what enables that to happen is Jesus Christ leading the host. Now, here's the thing that's amazing. That's us. We are the host that he brings back. So sometimes you wonder, where am I in the Old Testament? Right there. This is us. Jesus Christ leading the Lord of hosts is him leading us with him to come and do battle with the nations. So one of the things that's really important is that we don't need to trust in military might to see God's work done. Now, aren't you glad you live in a nation that has military might? You know, I'd I'd rather be the, the strong nation than the weak nation. Right? We don't really have to worry about being invaded. You know, terrorists will try to attack us. But you know, Cuba's not coming. You know what I mean? Mexico's not going to invade us. Well, they are, but it's called illegal immigration. But that's the, the we don't we don't have to worry. It's interesting. NATO, with all the stuff, all of the the talk that Trump was going to dismantle NATO. How could President Trump dismantle NATO? He couldn't do it. The United States could withdraw from the treaty. But Europe, by itself, has ten times more forces than Russia does, and the whole purpose of NATO is to protect Europe from Russia. And the United States paying, is it 70% of the budget for NATO, the United States paying that to protect Europe from uh, Russia? That's an interesting thing, isn't it? Now, I will say this, you know, I said it a minute ago, I'd rather be a part of a strong nation than a weak nation, but at some point you've got to pay the bills, right? And it's interesting how a mistake that we Christians can make is believing that every war is a good war. That's just not the case. It's interesting how many Christians are so pro-war. That's not the right place to be for a believer, amen? Now, I I love what the old Marine Marine Corps, the Marine Corps Commandant said, we can be your best friend or your worst enemy, right? We'd rather be a friend. When it comes time to fight, we need to fight and end the war. And that's why we're supposed to have a strong military. I'm all for that. But us poking our nose in every place around the world is not what we ought to be doing. This idea that we're going to bring world peace by policing the world is not going to work. It's not going to work. So this is stuff that we as believers need to pray about. We need to get our heads around. Because the the only way that there's going to be world peace is when the Prince of Peace comes and rules the world. That's how it's going to be. And that's what we need to look for. So... You know, I've got friends that are very much pro-military and they have their offices decorated with military equipment and all of that kind of thing. And then I've got Lawrence Vance on the other side of that, completely anti-war and that libertarian anti-war. He's for defensive war. He's for a military. But but any kind of foreign intervention, the libertarians are completely out on. So I've got friends on both spectrums of this discussion. Where, what does the Bible command us? Where does the Bible command us to be in this subject? Well, God gave government the sword as a terror to evildoers. And if your government's not strong enough, it's not a terror to evildoers. Isn't that right? The flip side of it is if you want a despotic government, then give up all your rights to the government. I'm glad that our system of government is based on the idea that our rights come to us by God and that government doesn't grant rights. Government recognizes the rights that God gave us. And then we believe in what are called negative rights. That is that the only authority government has are the things, the enumerated powers given to the government in our founding documents. They don't have any business in this church. They don't have any business in our lives outside of how we interact with other people's property. Government is there to protect the borders, protect the property, property rights of its citizens. That's the purpose of the government. Amen? When it comes to establishing world peace, Jesus Christ is the only one that can do that. I've got a book in my office. uh, I quoted Lutzer. I think it's a book by Lutzer. Uh, why the cross? What? Why the cross uh, can do what politics can't. Why the cross can do what politics can't. So this Lord of Hosts, this is God returning. Jesus Christ returning to the earth, leading an army, and our army is an army of one. We're just with Him. How many of you think He needs our help? <laughs> I'm with Him. Amen. It's an army of one. So in that day, that's when it's going to be. It's the millennial rest, saith the Lord of Hosts. That's Jesus Christ leading us to battle as he does, the, as he performs the, the judgment of the nations. And just look at Zechariah fourteen, verse three. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. I wanted you to see that, that in the context, he's coming to make war. He's making war with the nations that have come against Israel. That's the context. So in that day, that's the time, saith the Lord of hosts, that's him leading uh, his host in battle against the nations that have come against Israel. So back to Zechariah 3, verse 10. And that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor. This is every man living in peaceful union. That's what it's going to be. How cool will it be not to have to worry about locking your doors? That's fantastic. Realizing, I was watching Ravi Zacharias, and he was talking about morality and the need for laws, and someone, a smart aleck kid, he's doing question and answer at a college He said, what are you afraid of? You talk about how sinful man is. People aren't running around raping and killing all the time. What are you so afraid of? That's what this kid said. Go to Mexico City. Right? Go to some of these places. Why don't we have that happening in Sydney? Why is that? Because there are laws and a lot of armed people. It's so interesting. So, this young man said, what are you so afraid of? And Ravi just said, do you have locks on your doors? And, of course, he said, well, yes, and everybody laughed. This idea of the sin nature of man causing people to want things that other people have. And what is the only thing that restrains people? It's not their conscience. Now, There is... You've heard about the conscience of a nation. There is a zeitgeist, a worldview, a spirit of an age that takes over a nation. In the United States, when the United States was founded, it was that concept of personal responsibility, individual accountability. You're responsible for your own family. You're responsible to raise your own food. You're responsible for those things. This concept of rights... You know, people have the idea that a good job is a right. You have a right to a good job. Have you heard somebody say that? You have the right to a good job. Well, that means it's government's responsibility to provide that right, to provide that job. And there are people that believe that. They're called socialists. What they believe is that if you get out of a job, that it's the government's responsibility to provide you a job. Which all sounds great, but have you ever seen them trying to fire a government employee? It's hilarious the way all that stuff works. So this idea of rights, some people have the idea that food, good food, is your right. In South Africa, the, the Constitution of South Africa says it's every person's right to have um, housing. Well, then does everybody in South Africa suddenly have a house? No, there's a horrible housing shortage. In South Africa. Passing laws doesn't do anything. It doesn't do anything about that. See, rights come from God. And your right to have shelter does not exist. Your responsibility to provide shelter for yourself exists. Or you can die. But, you know, most people choose not to die. Right? They build shelters for themselves. So this idea of rights and the the government providing safety for people, all of those kinds of things that undermines any understanding of personal accountability and personal responsibility. So we've got several sheriffs and, and police and all that here. They can't protect you. They can't do it. Um. Josh, how many sheriffs are on duty at any particular time? Two to three. For 50,000 people. Do you see how crazy people are? They're just insane. The same people that are saying, hands up, don't shoot, are the ones that say that only police should have guns. You can't take your brain out and play with it to think like these people. Now, first of all, that hands up, don't shoot was based on a lie that never happened, right? The police don't want to shoot you. They might want to shoot some of you, but in general, the police don't want to shoot you. Do you see how crazy people are? What is going to settle all of this stuff? I I was talking, this is rambling a little bit, but I was talking about the conscience of a society. The conscience of a society happens when a society settles on certain behavioral norms. Now, if those behavioral norms were cannibalism, then you're a little less comfortable. Right? When those cultural norms are based on the the Judeo-Christian ethic of private property, personal responsibility, honesty, when when your conscience is based on Scripture then there is a certain amount of control that is on a whole culture, a mindset. When you try to go to a democratic society where every man does that which is right in his own eyes, well, the book of Judges shows us what happens when that happens. It's complete chaos. It's complete trouble. It is amazing how the liberal mindset is nothing but insanity. You know that that young lady that was elected to Congress in New York City? She's 28 years old, and she is as dumb as a bag of hair. It is hilarious listening to her talk about finance. She's a socialist. And uh, now, I don't watch the view. I, I see the clips of the stupid things they say. And uh, the Joy Behar was talking about how she's a democratic socialist and she thinks socialism is great. And they, so the, the other girl, I don't even know, Megan McCain, I guess her name is, who is not a star conservative by any means, she said, uh, well, look at Venezuela. That is socialism. And real smugly, jo Be- Joy Behar started talking about the other nations that are socialist, And she said, Sweden, Denmark, Copenhagen. (laughs) That's if Copenhagen's a country. (laughs) She's so stupid. (laughs) But those countries aren't socialist countries. They are capitalistic countries with large social safety nets, a lot of government intervention. But the freedom that businesses have to function in those nations... They're more free than the United States is. And because of that, their economies do better. People from Sweden who live in the United States earn more than Swedes living in Sweden. Why is that? Because when you have oppressive taxes, it stifles the economy. And we see that in in New York. You see it in California. People fleeing those... States The money is fleeing those states, and they're trying to make up for it by raising taxes. It's, these people are insane. And so the people that think that we're going to have peace in our country by removing any kind of morality and removing any way to defend yourself. So they want to move away from that. They want us to remove the social norms That is, guys need to not hurt women. That's been a social norm in our culture from its founding. When the West was founded, if you wanted to be hung or killed, violate a woman. They would kill you for that. But now, women are supposedly just as equal, just as strong, this, now, uh, equal worth, right? As a matter of fact, the Bible says to treat them with honor. But the idea that, that women can protect themselves the same way that men can is foolishness. I've been doing pre-marriage counseling for my niece, and she's 5'2 or 5'3". And Josh, the guy that she's marrying, is like 6'6", and he's this big. I was sitting across from him doing the counseling, and his arms are, are like this. And so we're talking about roles in marriage, and I was talking about her being the protector. I said, which one of you would be the better protector? I said, now, sometimes when I'm counseling people and they're getting married and she's bigger than him, it's harder to get this across. (laughs) But in this case, it's not an issue. I'm looking at the holes clause right here. All right, who's the protector there? She's pretty mean. I know that she is. (laughs) This idea of bringing peace to earth by removing biblical morality... Because, of course, the reason that people are bad is because of biblical law. Doesn't make any sense, does it? So they're wanting to remove societal norms of gender identity, gender roles, and they're saying those things are wrong, while at the same time, removing people's ability to defend themselves. See, a a lady in her home with a gun is just as safe as a man in a home with a gun. As long as they both know how to use it. It's a great equalizer. We did at man camp, we had Wade in the red man suit one year. And so we're all fighting him and I was fighting him and I didn't win. And I said, how many of you are shocked at that? You're shocked. I used girls can tell. I can't believe you lost. Just, no? Okay. But anyway, so I got done. And Dave said, that's why we do CCW. (laughs) What's the equalizer between me and Wade? A gun. That's the equalizer. Laura standing on my shoulders or something. I don't know. So remember, the same people that are trying to remove traditional morality, teaching people to honor women, the same people that are removing that want to remove that lady's ability to own a firearm. But they think there's going to be peace that comes from that. It's so crazy. But the Bible says, in that day, the Lord of hosts is going to come, and then every man's going to live in peace with his neighbor. See, God's law is vital right now in the world because God understands the depravity of man our founders understood the depravity of man, even their own depravity. So when Thomas Jefferson or John Adams or even George Washington wrote about the Second Amendment and the purpose for the Second Amendment, what they said was that was to give the people the ability to defend against them. because they understood that even the government they were establishing, the freest government that had ever existed on the face of the human race, even that government they knew, because it would be run by people with a sin nature, needed to have limits. And there had to be the, this, this separation of powers and co-equal branches of government. But not only that, government balancing itself out, that an armed populace can never be ruled by tyrants. You know why? They shoot the tyrants. It's so important that we understand that all of this cr- these crazy ideas that people have to bring peace to the world will only bring devastation and destruction. So because our founders understood God's law and what God says about human nature... They limited the power of everyone in the society to harm someone else. What God's going to do in the millennium is a good number of the people will no longer have a sin nature. All of us who are raptured out, we're changed. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. All right. So now go with me to we're going to be changed at that last trump. When we go up, look at first, John. So we're going to be like Christ. We're going to be sinless. That's fantastic, isn't it? So when we return with the Lord of hosts to establish the kingdom on the earth and we are ruling and reigning with Him and we are judging, the Bible says, we're going to be judges, we're able to judge righteously because we're not going to be sinful. How cool would it be to be able to... Have you ever been in a situation where you had to discern between two people? You had to make a judgment, but you weren't sure what to do? and you didn't know if you were being biased or maybe your mind had been corrupted, when we judge in the millennium, we're not going to have to worry about that. So one of the reasons there's peace in the kingdom is because all of the believers who had been raptured out, we have our new bodies and we're sinless. And sinful, sinless people don't sin. Violating the law, crime, hurting people, that's sin. Those who come into the kingdom through the tribulation period after the judgment of the nations, the sheep nations go into the kingdom, the goat nations go into everlasting destruction, outer darkness. Those sheep nations that come in, they still have to believe in Jesus Christ, but even some of them don't believe in Jesus Christ. How do we have peace then? Jesus is ruling with a rod of iron. And He is judging righteously and perfectly And immediately, everything that happens. So there is this peace where every man's dwelling peacefully with his own neighbor. We were, uh, Laura and I were on a walk in our neighborhood. I guess it was yesterday. And we walked by this one house and they're, they're, they're not taking care of it. Whoever lives there, everything's overgrown and there's all kinds of weeds. But the houses on each side are beautiful and they're cared for. And our thought was, I'll bet their neighbors love them. Uh, Justin was out caring for his yard today, and like me, he hates doing yard work. We had a little conversation about that. And what I said was, if only people didn't know where we live. <laughs> you've got to have a good testimony. If people know where you live, you've got to keep your yard mowed and things cleaned up and picked up and all that kind of stuff, right? It's interesting that in the kingdom, the earth is perfect. There are no weeds. All of that is cared for. I don't even think we'll have to mulch. <laughs> is that awesome? It'll be beautiful. That's what God's going to do in the kingdom. Everything is going to be perfect. But that peace that everyone's trying to find right now, it's just not going to happen until the Prince of Peace comes. So how do we elevate society to such a place that it's the best that it can be? How do we do that? Well, number one, we preach the gospel. We lead as many people to Christ as possible. And then we try to exert influence on the culture by our behavior and not allowing foolishness to happen in our presence without it being addressed. The best way to demonstrate that an idea is stupid is to demonstrate that it's stupid. Isn't that profound? Dan, could you follow that right there? Was that yeah, you're with me on that? And so that's where we have to speak up, but we have to do it kindly. The other thing that we have to remember is so many people are so programmed by socialism, socialistic thinking now, that the idea of personal responsibility, individual accountability, property rights, all of those things, it, it, it's, they don't understand it. Young people, the because college debt is so high. Kids are graduating with two and $300,000 in student loans. Because of that, they're not leaving their parents' houses. Because of that, they're not buying their own houses. So people who don't, young people who are living 27, 28, and 30 years old, living in the, with their parents, they're voting and they're having opinions on all of these things, but they're not property owners. They don't understand what it requires to to buy and maintain a home, pay the taxes on that home, and then to see their own government waste their money. They don't understand those things. So that's why it's really important for us to be able to communicate things like private property, capitalism. Remember, private property and capitalism, those are biblical concepts. This is not a political message. This is how we're going to have the closest thing to the millennium on earth in our society, that is to live in the society biblically. That's how we can do it. The reason the United States is so great is because of individual accountability. But that's going away. All right, so let's go back to the text. Zechariah chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 10. That day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. Under the vine and under the fig tree. Go with me to First Kings chapter 4. Look at verse 25. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. You see that? All the days of Solomon. Solomon's name comes from that same word that is Shalom. It's the word peace. And Jerusalem is the city of peace. Salem is the, the, the prince of peace. All right. Solomon's reign is a picture of Christ's millennial kingdom. And let's look at what that's going to be like. Go to the book of Micah, chapter 4. Micah, chapter 4, and verse 1. But in the last days it shall come to pass that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow into it, or unto it. And many nations shall come and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And He will teach us of His ways, and we will walk in His paths. For the law shall go forth of Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. "...and He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up a sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore." No more war colleges. No more police academies. None of that. It's not going to be necessary. That's what Jesus Christ is bringing. That's what it means to live in peace. Peace comes when the Prince of Peace is on the throne. Quoted the verse this morning, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. What God does in each of us, that's what God is going to do for the entire world in the kingdom. How do we have that peace? Well, Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus conquered death, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high so that we can have peace with God. He is going to bring that throne back to earth and he's going to establish that peace on earth for a thousand years. At the end of that thousand years, let's look at it. Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. I'm going to read this and we'll be done. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hand. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection, On such the second death hath no power." But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with Him a thousand years. So those of us who go up with Christ in the rapture, we're a part of that first resurrection. We're going to rule and reign with Him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints, about and the beloved city And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's it. Then the great white throne judgment takes place. At the end of the great white throne judgment, verse 15, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And that's it. That's the end of this world as we have known it. Remember, it's destroyed in the tribulation period. It's restored during the millennium for a thousand years. Revelation twenty one one. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Look at Revelation chapter 22. And He showed me a pure river, verse 1, And He showed me a pure river, of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. And it describes what this world is going to be like. Do you know what's going to happen in this world now? We're just going to live in peace and blessing and complete satisfaction, worshiping and dwelling with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in perfect, sinless harmony. That's where we're headed. Praise God. God's going to establish that for a period of time on this earth. If we want to have anything resembling Jesus Christ's rule on earth, the only way that we can do that is to govern our community righteously according to the principles of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word.